This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. If your oldest kid is 10 and you have an eight-year-old, your parental identity is actually 10, mm-hmm. right? And so- whether you know that or not is what the model helps us understand, right? So if you have a 10-year-old, that means you're moving into tweens. I might ask a parent, so right now it sounds like your kid's kind of pushing at you. Yeah, yeah, there's, I don't know, like you said, there's some disrespectful all of a sudden in this. I'll say, let's put that on the back burner. I want to ask you a question. How do you demonstrate who you are to those around you? Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome to Joyful Courage, a conscious parenting podcast where we tease apart the challenges and the nuances of parenting through adolescence. I'm your host, Casey O'Rourke, positive discipline trainer and adolescent lead at Sproutable, a company that represents not only the growth of children, but also the journey and evolution that we all get to go on as their parents. I'm walking the path right next to you as I navigate the teen parenting years with my own two kids here in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. Joyful Courage is all about grit, growth on the parenting journey, relationships that provide a sense of connection and meaning, and influential tools that support everyone in being their best selves. Thank you for being here. We are over 1 million downloads and 300 plus episodes strong, and you have taken us to the top 1% of podcasts worldwide. I so appreciate you. I'm so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. All right, listeners, I am really excited to introduce you, reintroduce you really to my guest today. I have Mercedes Samudio on the podcast. Mercedes is a parent coach. She's a licensed clinical social worker, best-selling author, and speaker who helps parents and children communicate with each other, manage emotional trauma, navigate social media and technology, and develop healthy parent-child relationships. Over the course of her career, Mercedes has worked with adoptive families, foster families, teen parents, parents navigating the child protective services system, and children living with mental illness. Mercedes started the End Parent Shaming Movement, as well as coined the term shame-proof parenting using both to bring awareness to ending parent shame. She published the book, Shame Proof Parenting, Finding Your Unique Parenting Voice, Feeling Empowered, and Raising Whole Healthy Children. Mercedes was on years ago, it feels like, episode 122, 
and we dug deep into the shame-proof parenting philosophy. She is a leading expert and has an amazing following on social media that allows her to reach the hearts of thousands of parents who feel heard and seen on their parenting journey. Mercedes has been featured on the Huffington Post, U.S. News and Report, Women's Day, L.A. Parent Magazine, CBS L.A., and Kids in the House. She seeks to empower parents to believe they are already great guides for raising healthy and happy kids. To learn more about Mercedes and her work, you can go to shameproofparenting.com. Is that still the right link, Mercedes? It is, yes. Okay, great, good. Mercedes is also my friend, and I'm so happy to welcome you back to the show. Thank you so much for having me and for opening. I always listen to like intros, like, did I do all that stuff? That's so weird. (laughs) You did, girl. You did all that stuff and you keep doing stuff, right? You keep doing stuff. It was, you know, a few years ago, three or four years ago that you were on last and I got to meet you in person a few years ago. When was that? 2019? 2019. Yes. It feels like a lifetime ago. Oh my gosh, it really was a lifetime ago. <laughs> so what has been happening with you? What's gone on in the last few years for you and your career? I really, it has literally been like three or four years, like since the conference, but the conference actually, interesting enough, when I went into it, I thought this conference is going to change me, but I thought it in a very positive, optimistic way. And it changed me just in a lot of ways I was not expecting it to. And I think it was a great process for me to go through as someone who does this work with no kids. I'm not getting the process through a child. I'm a lot of times getting the process through trying to be human myself. I'll mm. put it that way as kosher as I'll put that. <laughs> and so it's like when you're messing up and you are trying to figure out who you are, you realize that even as an adult, you're still messing up. You're still making horrible decisions. And I don't try to sugarcoat it. Some of the decisions I made were really silly <laughs> about the conference. You know, when you look back, you're like, who would make that decision? But that's where I was at that moment. And that's who I was. And so I share that to say that the conference really did change me. The Diversity in Parenting Conference, it grew into a nonprofit. It's been, you know, kind of just sitting on its own right now during kind of the upheaval that's happening. But over the past few years, that conference really invigorated this idea that I really do want to change the way we see the parenting world, not just through my philosophies and my work, but also through the speakers who we allow to show up, through the people who we allow to show up. I still get people who forget that there are step families and foster families and adoptive families that deserve to be treated with the family title the same way we do the traditional families. And so from the conference, it really invigorated me going back to my doctoral program. So now I'm in my doctoral program, a DSW, Doctor in Social Work. I've taken a mini business course. <laughs> and so that's helped me to like get better and get back into my space. I've revamped shameproof parenting a little bit. So now I offer shameproof parenting intensives, which are like full days where we just dive in. And I take parents from this feeling of overwhelm to feeling like they could actually do this parenting thing. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now. I still do, you know, individual sessions through telehealth. I don't teach as much anymore. I was teaching, but I stopped that just because I think what I learned during this time is that I also need time for me. And so at the height of the pandemic, I was teaching. I was trying to get to school. I was trying to recover. I was doing everything. I was also still seeing clients. And I was like, oh, I need to reassess what this is. I need to reassess this helper. Every hour of my day, I'm supporting people and I have nothing for me. And so 
I stopped teaching in 2020 because I realized I really wanted to focus on me and not have all of my hours go towards helping or healing others. I was really interested in healing me. And so on top of all of those other professional things, I started going back to therapy. I got trained in EMDR and went to EMDR. I got trained in brain spotting and went to brain spotting. And so I've healed a lot of my stuff too. And so there's been a lot of growth, not just professionally in that identity, but also I think the pandemic and this stuff, it just made you reassess yourself and your life and who you are. And so I did that as well. <laughs> and so yeah. it's been a real huge journey uh, these past few yeah. years, to be honest with you. So great. Well, and the conference. So again, that was a diversity and parenting conference. And I was so thrilled to get to volunteer and be in the background and support from that angle. And Mercedes, like that conference, you know, I was already in pretty good recognition that I live in a very white world and a very white bubble. And I had these little outlets of like glimpses of like, oh, there's <laughs> there's more going on. Yes. And that conference for me was such a great opportunity to connect with so many amazing, important, powerful people doing such great work in the world. And I started following them. I've started to build relationships with different people. Some of them have been on my podcast and been a part of my summits. And I'm just so grateful for that space, that open, welcoming space for me to choose to step into and be a minority inside of a group of people, right? Because that doesn't happen very often for me. So that was really powerful. But because, you know, as a positive discipline trainer and kind of under this positive parenting umbrella, it feels very white, right? And but being connected to people like Leslie Priscilla and you and Anne Louise Lockhart, like it's, it doesn't have to present that way. And so I'm just so grateful for everything that I experienced and continue to learn and uncover and discover about, you know, my own lens because of that conference. It was really, really powerful for me. I really, really appreciate it. And one of my favorite presentations from that weekend was yours right? Like we're going to talk about today. Is it a theory? Is it a, what is it? Philosophy? What, how do we capture it? A developmental model. A developmental yes. model that really captures, you know, the development of parents. And I was telling you before I hit record, like I searched for my notes. I couldn't find my notes. But when I think back to sitting and consuming that presentation, I remember how it made me feel. And I remember feeling like, oh, this is big. Yeah. This is useful. And so I'm really excited to have you come on and hear more about it. So the parental identity development model. Yes. Did I get that right? Yes. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what that is. Yeah. So it is a non-stage developmental model that really helps us understand what humans go through as they begin to take on the parenting role whatever that looks like. The model really starts with pregnancy, not trying to be gender specific or even body specific, but that's because usually at that time when there is a baby being kind of created is when people realize I'm entering into a caregiver role. Whoever the birthing person is, is also obviously growing a human. So they're aware of that, but the other people involved are also starting to become aware of, oh, there's another human that's gonna be here and my role is going to change. And it follows us all the way into a parenting age adult, where once you get to the age where you're parenting 
a parenting age adult child, your life looks a lot different than parenting from, I'm just now realizing that there's a baby growing right, in this mm-hmm. world. And so the model is not something that's like, you have to do it this way, but it's actually based on all of the work that I've done, watching parents go through these huge shifts as they have to enter the world because they have a child. And so for instance, entering the world because you have a toddler is a lot different because you're not entering as yourself, you're entering as this person's parent, this person's Mm -hmm. caregiver. And that's how people are responding to you. If you've just now come into the role that you are this person's caregiver, that can be really jarring. They're a toddler now. That means for the first two or three years, you haven't been really paying attention to how much of a role you're playing in this person's upbringing, which also means you're not paying attention to how raising this person is changing your identity and developing. Mm -hmm. And so the model's idea is to help us really understand where is a parent when we meet them based on how old their child is. The same way when we meet children, we think, where is this children based on how old they are? Where are they? Where are they developmentally? Mm -hmm. Where are they cognitively? Where are they emotionally? The parental identity development model gives us a framework to look at where is this parent with a toddler? Where is this parent's mindset with a teenager? What task should they be able to complete with a teenager? And if they're not, let's look backwards and see where in your parental identity did you not get the help you needed so you can be where you needed to be for your teenager right now. And that's the work I've been doing for yikes over, you know, a decade. (laughs) Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God, spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well-being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Hey friends, as a podcast listener myself, I always get so excited to share when I find a new show that I think is super useful. So today I want to tell you about Understood Explains. This is a podcast that tackles one important topic per season. And this season is all about navigating individualized education plans and is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky, and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. 
When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP? It offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed to actually starting to feel empowered. Other episodes in the series highlight the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, as well as a whole episode that busts common myths about special education. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Understood Explains. So check it out. You won't be sorry. It's so interesting, like what a flip to look at, you know, there's so much focus and material and resources and study around child development, but to say like, you know, like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, it's so of course, but it's also like, oh, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. And thinking back, we recently found a bunch of our old home videos, like literal videos from a video camera. And my husband is downloading them onto the computer. And so every once in a while, one of us or many of us will sit down and it's all my kids zero to like three. It's early, early years. And I got to tell you, it is both so sweet and so heartbreaking, <laughs> especially when I have see the videos of my baby second child and my three-year-old oldest child and the way that she is so desperately trying to get my attention and how I'm responding to her makes me really sad. It makes me really sad. And, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know back then. And yeah, yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, the way that I, you know, personally have grown on the journey and how my identity has been shaped because of my role as a parent of a toddler, a parent of a school age, a parent of a middle schooler. And now, you know, one is out of school. And what did you say? Parent of an adult. Yeah. So there's, what was it? Adult age. There's three. You have (laughs) a young adult. Tell me, what are they? You have a young adult and then an adult and then a parenting age adult. So there's three adult stages. Right now it looks like you have a young adult. (laughs) I have a young adult, 19. Yeah. Young adult. 19. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about these stages and just kind of like, what are those developmental tasks? that we have the opportunity to be hitting yeah, yeah, in each stage. I'll start with the one that most people realize they're a parent in, and that is the childhood stage that has come after mm-hmm. pregnancy, infancy, and toddlerhood. Can you guess why you start to realize, okay, I'm a parent at childhood. Once your kid gets to childhood, you're like, okay, this is happening. Gosh, because they start making choices that are independent of you, like they kind of assert that autonomy and that sovereignty, and maybe we're cheering it on, or maybe it's conflicting with what we'd hope they'd be doing. Is that kind of... So yes, I I love that that's the perspective you had. It's why I asked you before I shared it. Our perspective oftentimes of where we are is based on where our kid is. So we're saying they are getting into the world. They are doing this. They're behaving this way. But what really happens at this age is that you're actually starting to explore and you're starting to recognize just how much influence we have over each other. It's not Mm -hmm. just because your kid is doing things. You're actually realizing what you just shared is that I have a lot of influence on how my child shows up. It's a very jarring moment to realize that Mm -hmm. the things you've said in the house are now being said at school. The ways you thought you were whispering and spelling words out and not, they were picking up on the feel of the house. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And it's hard because of what you just said. They're also trying to figure out how to human. Childhood is the first time we realize that a kid is a human because they are starting to human. They go to school, they try to eat by themselves. They can usually put on their clothes by the time they're in childhood. And it's scary if for the first four to five years, you haven't paid attention to that. Yeah. Right. Or you've been over-delivering. Or under-delivering. Right? Or under-delivering or more harsh than not. Mm-hmm. Because you start to see it. Yeah. You start to see it reflect. They go to school and they come back and the teacher's like, he was doing this today. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right? So you start to see yeah. it being reflected in the world. <laughs> Do you feel like, so, because sometimes... I think this is also a place where, you know, I think that it's a tuned parent who recognizes the connection between how they show up and how their kids are behaving versus, you know, a parent that's less attuned and really keeps the ownness on the child. Like, you know, it really, it's like, well, where did you learn that? How could you do that? How can I nip this in the bud? Is that a place where mm-hmm. gaps happen that just missing that influence yeah. piece? Yeah. And I also think too, going back to kind of what you just said, which I thought was great, is that a lot of times you're just parenting. You're not actually worried about what's happening. Nip this in the bud, get this dealt with, do this, move on, stop, go clothes, time. We got to get out of the house. Like you're just parenting. It's not until childhood that because of how your kid experiences the world, you start to realize it's not just parenting. I need to actually raise a human person because until then they are just doing it. You can literally pick up a two-year-old and put them in the car. Yeah. Try to pick up a six-year-old. It's fun, but they start flailing and fighting it's and hitting not you. That fun. Right, right. <laughs> and so it's like when a two-year-old flails, you just put him in the car seat and you go. When a six-year-old like falls out, you're like, okay, I can't pick you up anymore, which means I need to teach you how to human because you know. And it's a really interesting cycle because what I notice is what you just shared. No matter how attuned or not attuned you are, you realize how this is affecting you. Hence, childhood is recognizing influence. Mm. that's what's happening at that stage, right? It's I'm starting to realize how much my kid influences my mood, but I'm also starting to realize how much I influence them. The key question Ah, of this stage that I'd like parents to meditate on is who or what influences what I think, feel, believe, and behave? Who or what influences what I think, feel, believe in how I behave. And I like the behave part because oftentimes we're aware of our influences for our thought process but we're not always aware of our behavior influences. What mm-hmm. I find with a lot of parents is as we do our work, I'll say, what do you use the first time you remember someone saying a kid needs to sit down? Oh, my grandma used to say that all the time. Kids need to sit down. They do not need to be moving around. Is that how your grandma talked to you? Oh yeah, wherever she was, right? And so it sounds like that behavior might come from someone else. Do you mm-hmm. still believe that kids should just go somewhere and sit down? Hmm. Now you've realized who influenced that for you your grandma who always told every kid to go somewhere and sit down, you start to notice, I don't really think that anymore, but I know who gave me that, right? Mm. That goes back to what we talked about, the positive discipline is when we run up against, this is new, but grandma said, and auntie said, and mom said, and I'm fine, so I guess it worked, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I like to bring the behavior in because I don't like to tell people you're not fine. I like to say, where did you first realize that was true? Oh, well, because for you to realize it's true, it's why you think you're fine. I believe that's true. Kids need to go somewhere and sit down. I go somewhere and sit down. My kids go and sit down. We're fine. That's actually a very valid thought. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am fine. <laughs> right? Like this yeah. is all very true for us. I'm fine enough. Right. right. <laughs> but I think I've talked is, to my therapist, but right, you know. <laughs> right. But we're not able to always link that up. 
when I don't want to link that up. And so that's why I love that conversation about it's not just what we think and feel. By the time we become adults, we actually are pretty good at realizing where those influences come from. But sometimes our behaviors are very disconnected to our thoughts and our emotions. So it's also, what do you think influences your behavior too? Yeah. Like just questioning, being in the questions, you know, we might know where the influences come, but how much time are we spending questioning those influences? Right. And so I'm hearing you talk about giving yourself permission. It's recently been discovered that I have a really hard time being with other people. Like, you know, we got some mental health stuff. We got some stuff in the house and like, it is very hard for me to be with my kids' emotions. I'm the feel-good fairy. I've actually been called that before. And it not like, I mean, yay, feel-good fairy. But also, how freaking dismissive, yeah. right? And I realize it in my head. And yet, the discomfort that I feel. And I recently was thinking about, like, similar to what you said, like, where does this come from? Why is this so hard for me? And I realized, you know, I was raised in a household with a parent who was inconsistent with her moods. Mm-hmm. And when she was dysregulated and in her emotion, it was so charged and painful for me. And that's absolutely influencing right now. And I, you know, so I think that that's such a useful, important reflection for parents. So thank you for that. Yeah. And is childhood like five to 11? Yeah, it's like that middle school because then there's tween right after. So it's like that middle childhood, right? And so after toddler, I put toddler like four right? They're coming out of it four, five, four and a half going on five. Right now we're in childhood. For sure, I'd say first grade is really good for childhood because that is when your kid is at school for eight hours a day and you have no idea what they're going to be doing. Oh man, It's so different when they go to school for a couple hours because after two hours, you can kind of get them back home and say, okay, I can reset whatever you did. But once they get to first grade and second grade, they're in school for eight hours a day. Lots of decisions they have to make on their own. Again, at that age, they have teachers go here, go here, go there. But there's still moments on the playground where there's not a teacher saying, this is how you play ball. Mm-hmm. And so they've got to negotiate. How do I do this with another kid yeah. who might not have the same house as me and not have the same parents as me and not have the same family as me and might have other things going on. And so he throws the ball right at my head and I'm mad. So I kick him and well, there we are. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And if we follow a path of logic, you know, a lot of times the path of logic makes a lot of sense as to why it ended up with a kick to the shin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So childhood is that influence yeah. place. Yeah. And I love that it's the both and of being aware of like our influence over our kids as well as, yeah. you know, the way that they're influencing us. And one of my favorite things to say is that our most powerful and useful parenting tool you know, as far as influencing behavior is the relationship that we're nurturing Mm -hmm. with our kids. And I think if we're aware in that first half of this whole at home (laughs) period of time that we have with them, you know, that can look a certain way. And then we move Mm -hmm. into tweens and teens and brain development and connection and relationship starts to get funky. So talk to me about the parental tasks. Yeah during adolescence. These are my people. Yes. Right. (laughs) And me. I'm me too. I'm there. I'd say, I think what's funny about the tween age is that cognitively they've actually reached their peak. So they have all the cognitive stuff they need to start formulating ideas about their world. That's the tween stage. By the time they're 11, Piaget has said that they have all that they need for cognitive development. They can look at things in the world and put together stuff, right? They can start thinking abstractly. It's why tweens start getting so sarcastic, 
because they're starting to think abstractly, right? Oh, really? Okay. That's an abstract thought. It's different than when you're a kid and you say, are you sure? It's the same right. sentiment, but now it's like, you're not going to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm still trying to figure out how do I share with someone my disappointment? How do I share with yeah. someone? I don't actually believe you. Right? Like, how do I share those really? While also protecting ourselves. Yeah. Listeners, I wish you could see Mercedes face when she makes the teen statements because it's so perfect. <laughs> right? It's like, have you ever seen a tween before? Yeah, a few times <laughs> in my office. Like the level of Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's interesting how quickly parents go to, they've become so disrespectful mm. without actually considering, like they're trying to, assert their cognitive peak yes, and, you know, and push back while also protecting themselves. Like it's really, it's fascinating to think about it that way. And by the time they get to be 11 or 12, they've also been in the family for over a decade. So they know what type of family they live in. And so mm-hmm. thinking about that too, with my cognitive understanding, I know mom is going to yell. So I try to either preempt it so I can get what I want or deflect it so I can get away from it. Right. I've learned that. Right. It's why also parents start to feel like they're coming after me. It's like because they're being really intentional about how they're using what they've learned in the family because it's a cognitive thing. It's they're not aware of the emotional turmoil that's taking on the family yet. They might not have that, but they're able to say, well, I know if I poke my sister, she'll yell, then we'll get into a fight and then I can do whatever I want. Like, and this is, I'm using hypothetical examples, but it's like you start to start thinking, like kids start thinking that way, like cause and effect, fairness right? Like what's right. You will see a tween call out fair, almost everything. Even when it comes to like mealtime, like she has more potatoes than me. And you're like, ideals meal. It's not that serious, (laughs) but they're looking at fairness a lot more now. They're looking at who's getting more. You like them more. You care about them more. You don't like me as much, right? Like, cause they're starting, it's cognitive, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, they're collecting information too, right? Yes. I mean, isn't that a piece of yes. it? Yes. So you might be the parent thinking like, why do you think that? And then they can pull up the data points. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's so interesting too. And I wonder, so when, like what you just said, because I feel like there's dismissiveness that can happen when parents think, well, they're just trying to manipulate me. Yes. And I'm not hearing you say they're learning to manipulate. They're learning to navigate where they have found themselves. And is the like, you know, hypothetical, like poke the sister, get into a fight and then ultimately get to do what we want. Is that something that you find is in consciousness or is it more of just like, talk about like that? So I'm glad you got to that because you brought us to what the question is for the parent. In this space, the tween is right. Questioning, right? They're questioning, but so are you. You're starting to question, have I done this right? What's wrong with them? I thought I taught them everything. Why are they acting like this? You're questioning too. You're starting to observe all the identities in the house, especially if you have a couple kids right at that age. So they're supposed to be doing that, right? They're preparing themselves for their teenage years, right? Your question here is, how do I demonstrate who I am to those around me? Hmm. Your kid is trying to figure out who they are. They're trying to, do you like me? Do you like this? This is what I'm wearing. What do you think of this? They're trying to figure out who they are. They're trying to use all their little cognitive things that they figured out. And it's triggering because for us, sometimes we haven't even learned how do I show myself to my family? How do I show them this? How do I show that this is a new shirt that I love? That's why I'm wearing it. How do I show them that I got a new pair of glasses and I want everyone to care? Mm -hmm. Because that's what's happening with your twins. 
Oh my gosh. That's so interesting, right? Because I'm really good at having expectations that I haven't necessarily let anyone in on. (laughs) I'm just going to divulge all of my places of personal growth needs. (laughs) My feelings get hurt because the expectations aren't met. You know, it can feel vulnerable. And I'm thinking too about when my kids do ask, like, what do you think about this outfit? Or what do you think about this shirt? And like, really how vulnerable that question really is. And I hardly ever think about it as a vulnerable question. Right. You know, especially if I'm like, nah, I don't know about those pants. Right. Right. Like- <laughs> right. And so going back Sorry. to that question, how do I demonstrate who I am to those around me? Hmm. Right. Hmm. And seeing questions like that as, are they trying to tell me something? I think about this is the age where most tweens, if they're going to come out, they might know too. Or they might start to think, I think there's something else about how I see myself and how I see people, right? So how do I demonstrate that to others? Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's in my clothes, right? I definitely laugh at at my tween age. I was in uh, junior high and then eyebrows were in. So I shaved half my eyebrows off trying to be dumb. And my mom just looked at me. and was like, what are you doing? Like, I'm just trying to figure this out, right? And so it's this idea of how do I demonstrate who I am to those around me? The whole purpose of the questions is so you feel into what's happening for your kid without looking at it from their perspective. You're not looking at it actually from their perspective. They are going on their journey, whether you want them to or not. You're now looking at it from, well, where am I? My kid is starting to push and pull and tug. Where am I? Mm-hmm. My kid is starting to like literally push off of me. Where am I? Right. And so in these developmental model, it's helping us all to understand there's a human still developing in there. There's a person still in there. And that person is about the same age as their oldest kid. Mm-hmm. So if their oldest kid is four, that parental identity is four. If their oldest kid is 18 and they've got a three-year-old, their parental identity might be 18, but they probably haven't paid attention to it. So they probably don't even know it. So they're starting with this four-year-old, like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, you've actually done most of it. So let's look at it, right? If your oldest kid is 10 and you have an eight-year-old, your parental identity is actually 10, Mm -hmm. right? And so whether you know that or not is what the model helps us understand, right? So if you have a 10-year-old, that means you're moving into tweens. I might ask a parent, so right now it sounds like your kid's kind of pushing at you. Yeah, there's, I don't know, like you said, there's some disrespectful all of a sudden in this, I'll say, Let's put that on the back burner. I'm going to ask you a question. How do you demonstrate who you are to those around you? And I've never had a parent of a tween go, like, oh, well, yeah, I just say this. I just, they always sit in the dark. <laughs> yeah. It's a new consideration. It gets new territory, which is really exciting. Right. I think. Right. It's really exciting. Right. Sometimes I'll even move backwards on the question. So right before that question is, who influences what I think, feel, and behave? And if they're like, I don't know. Okay. How do I accept myself as I am? Talk to me. I don't know. Infancy. What have I learned about being human? Oh, well, this is what I've learned. Okay, so where are they? They might be at infancy then. They might have an eight mm-hmm. and a 10-year-old, but they're still trying to figure out what they learned about being human. They're not able to be at that space where their teen is, or their twenty. They're not able to be at the influence space with their child now, which is that discord. If my kid is out in the world exploring, but I'm still trying to figure out the infancy stuff or recover from it, we're on two different yeah. wavelengths. No wonder my kid is triggering me because I haven't even caught up to where they are. They're out there running around and messing up and doing whatever. And I'm still trying to figure out what have I even learned about being a human being? I'm stuck on that. Wow. Right? That's an infancy level stage, right? Where most people aren't able to do this. And I talk about it a lot. 
my idea, if I can be really open and transparent, is I hope this is, becomes the model the same way we use it as child development. I have yet to meet a parent in today's world who doesn't know child development. Most have a vague understanding, right? Just people who will tell me, okay, my kid is 14. They're in this stage, right? Right. But we don't know that about parents. And we don't know that about the humans who choose to care give. And it's because we only see parenting as the person who's birthed the child or biologically made the child. We don't see parenting as everybody who kind of takes that caregiving role for that kid. There's all these parental identities that show up, but who's taking the main role of caring for this child? Is it the mom, the dad? Is it grandma? Is it auntie? Because those people then are going on this journey Mm -hmm. with that child that they are the caregiver over. So my grandmother had done it already. Her youngest kid was 20, so she was a young adult. In this space, she should be launching. She should have been accepting the past, present, and future. She should be thinking about, what do I want to know about navigating my world through my own and with others? That's where she should be with her youngest. That's where the 20-year-old should be or the grandma? Yeah. Okay, the parent, okay. I'm gonna go with my mom, Yeah. right? So that's her youngest, right? Now, here's the fun part. Her oldest was actually in the adult stage. And so as you look at it, she's also in the stage of how do I want to show up for myself when not caring for others? That's her oldest. That's the question, mm-hmm. right? Then she had to start taking care of me. She was at the stage where she could start feeling like, how do I show up for myself while not caring for anyone else? Right? She's almost at parenting adult age, but that's a whole other space. I might give her that one too, but she was definitely there. And then I was eight. And I was left with her. So now she's all the way back in the who influences what I think, feel, and believe, and behave stage with Mm. me, while also trying to figure out how not to be a caregiver with her oldest. When you look at the trajectory of that, for her, she never got to that final moment where she could really evaluate her parenting and then began to start sharing with her kids and even with me. Mm-hmm. And so when we don't look at different types of families, we don't get to see how this actually does affect how we're able to show up. If I don't know where I'm supposed to be in my caregiver role and my kid is needing a lot out of me, it's difficult because I don't know, should I be giving you this? Should I be giving you that? Should I do this? Should I, where am I? I don't know. I feel like I and then your kid is still yeah. standing there like, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. This is so useful because I do know that I have quite a few grandparents that listen to the podcast that have found themselves raising, you know, a second generation of kids. And, you know, something that I've said that I think about, too, is, you know, if we haven't kind of recognized in those early years or in the childhood years that personal growth and development is a lifelong journey and that our kids really prompt our opportunity to grow, then it's really difficult. You know, we get that extra, that second like, hey, enroll now during the teen years, because again, we're, it feels Mm -hmm. like this confrontation of personality. And so if you haven't done the work early on, then it feels like the teen years, you have a choice of doing your own work reflection deep dive or resisting it, which, oh, I mean, it's hard enough being in the doing your work role versus I can't even imagine resisting the personal growth. I mean, I don't see how you can have relationship with your kids if you're not willing to take a look. And so I would love to know, like, 
how does the teen years break down? Is there like an earlier teens? Because like it's 13, it's 14, all. 15? Okay, it it's is. Because the early teens I've experienced and I witness do feel a little bit different totally. than the older teens. Totally. It's a kind of a shit show, actually. Totally. And I'll say this. Parental identity helps to deal with teen years. If mm-hmm. you're developing it, you get to a space where you can role play with your child at this space. It doesn't become this, I need to be telling you. It becomes, how do I show you so you can go and try it? And then we come back mm-hmm. and we talk about it. This is because right after that, they're young adults and they're out on their own anyway, regardless. I always tell people, once someone becomes legally an adult, have fun. Have fun trying to yeah. get them to do what you want them to do. Because they're legally, wherever you live, once they become a legal adult, they actually do have jurisdiction over their life legally. And that changes a lot yeah. of things, right? Because I can leave wherever I want. I can go wherever I want. I'm legally, based on wherever I am in the world, I'm legally able to do that. And so it changes the dynamic. And so if you spend a lot of the teen years not role-playing, a lot of those young adult years become really scary because it's like, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what their brain is like. I I hope they got it. And so it's scarier. (laughs) It's scarier. So when you say role-playing, I have a question about that because often I'll talk about being curious as a way to develop their own reflective mm-hmm. conversation. You know, I want to ask questions that eventually I'm hoping my kids will be asking themselves yeah. about different situations. So is that yes. part of this role play it piece? Is. Okay. It is. It's a huge part. Look at me. It. I'm so smart. You are. I agree. I 100% <laughs> agree with that because that's part of it, right? You're asking them questions to reflect. You're not saying do this like you were when they were kids. Right. You're saying, does that make sense to do that right now? Is that a good idea? Yeah. Right. Well, I'm going to go over here. that turn out? Yeah. Right, let's see. Figure it out. Right? Yeah. And so you are, but also they're bringing you stuff too. Right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's direct. Hey, I have a question about this. Sometimes it's indirect. They come and throw all their stuff around. And you're like, hmm, something's going on. And so that's a great time to role play. Something's going on. I don't want to talk about it. I do. How are we going to deal mm-hmm. with this? Mm-hmm. Because this won't be the only time in their life where they're going to have to talk to someone, even though they don't want to. Yeah. Right. And so sitting yeah. through since you've been so vulnerable, I'll kind of play around with, you've talked about, it's hard to sit in emotions. And so role-playing is sitting in emotion because sometimes the role-play is, I know exactly what to say to them. Sometimes the role-play is just kind of sitting there and be like, I actually don't know either. Let's figure it out. What would Mm -hmm. you have said there? Well, I would have said this. Okay, that might've caused this to happen. So maybe not, but I don't know what the other alternative is, right? You're really just sitting with them. And so the question for teen years is, what tools do I have that I can give to others to support their human journey. I have so many tools. There you go. <laughs> and let me be real with Just you. Just ask Tracy. my kids. They're like, enough of your tools, mom. There you go. <laughs> but here's the deal. In order for someone to say enough of your tools, that must mean they know you have it. That's actually yeah. good. I teach people all the time. Listen to how people talk about you because whether it's nice or not, it means they know something. If it's right, then they can, okay, you have tools. They might not want them, but you have them and they know that. Yeah. But tools is a very generic term for what do you have that you'd like to give to others to support their human Mm -hmm. journey? And I put others for a reason because oftentimes parents think, my kids, my kids, my family, my home. But you often have tools for others that you give to other people all the time. Right now we're talking, right? And you're sharing your stuff and I'm sharing my stuff. We're giving each other tools. We're both doing parent work. There's definitely been times I've said something, but oh, I've definitely listened to your podcast now. So you do have tools to help others. You have tools to help other parent educators. You have tools to help other mothers of teens. You have tools to help other women in your community. Like you have tools to be a wife, right? You have tools to be a daughter or a sister, right? And so 
What tools do you have that help others to support their human journey? It's why the role playing becomes so integral. You're not just supporting your child, you're supporting a human who's got to go out there in the world, right? So they'll bring you human stuff. My friend is this. Well, that's a human thing. What, do I have any tools for a human thing like that? Not, my kid is dealing with it. It's do I have any yeah. tools for a human journey like that? Have I ever heard of that? So if you have, you say, well, tell me more about it because you know I used to work at a rape center and so I might be able to have some resources. I didn't know you worked at a rape center. Yeah, when I was like 15, I called, I volunteered there. What just happened? Instead of me being scared that my child might be dealing with sexual stuff, I'm listening and realizing I actually have tools for this. So let me listen. Right. Because you do. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Yeah. And the other thing I love about what you just did is you're also sending this message of, I'm not going to freak out. Like I can talk about this with you. I'm here for you. Yeah. And when I think about tools too, is the role play also the modeling? Sure. Is that also modeling sure. inside of that? Because sure. I know for me, sometimes the best tool is don't talk mm. or ask permission mm to give an opinion, yeah. right? And those are the things that really, I know for my kids, the feedback I've gotten from my kids are, that's when I'm the most useful, because you're right. I mean, 16 and 19, the kids have my number. They know what I'm all about. They know their mom-isms, right? Like, I don't need to say the things I wanna say. My husband would probably say the same thing, actually. He has recently. I don't need to say what I wanna say for my people to know what I think. Mm -hmm right? Like it's there. And so what I'm hearing you, and I love this second part of the sentence to support them on their human journey, because our human journey is not about getting lectures and getting told what to do all the time. 
sometimes our human journey is about being seen and being mm. witnessed and being heard and I like that. And the allowing of the experience. And so that's really powerful. Yeah. I really like that too, because it's making me reflect on some of my human journey moments over the past couple of months. What I'll say about that is it's making me realize that it's not just part of the human journey to be seen, heard, and felt, but it's also part of it to find the people who you want to do that too. And that's something yeah. I've been really sitting with as I work with parents, because they'll be like, I don't know who to go to. And I'm like, well, who do you want to go to? And they're like, well, my pastor. And I'm like, that's fine. Oh, yeah. You know, and so it's like that idea of it's not that I just want to be seen and heard, but I want someone who actually knows or who understands this to see and hear me about this, because it might be my husband. It also might be my pastor and also might be my girlfriend. It also might be this podcast where I'm like, hey, I just like talking to Casey and this is what I needed today. Right. But I think yeah. it's that expansiveness too of like, well, what do you really need right now? And that's why I like that question of, I think my kid needs this, but if you say, well, what do you need? Well, actually, I just need the number to this. Cool. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, Such a great question. Right. What do you need? So simple. <laughs> right. But I think that's what happens when we're looking to be seen and heard. It's not just that we want someone to hear us or see us or experience us. We hope we're being experienced by someone who understands. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's where it gets kind of tricky, yes. Mercedes, <laughs> yes. because what if we don't understand? Like, because sometimes, especially during adolescence, and I've been called out on this, you know, I've got my daughter has shared freely on the podcast about her mental health struggles with anxiety and depression. And I have never been inside of those cages. Like, I'm extroverted. I mean, I have my stuff. So, you know. But I'm really extroverted. She's really introverted. And so when she says, you don't understand, she's right. Mm -hmm. But even inside of that, I get to say, I don't know what this experience feels like. And I'm happy to sit with you and listen. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if, I mean, that's kind of the best I can do in that moment. FYI, that's role playing. So oftentimes I think parents oh. think their role playing has to be the positive stuff. So I pro played a nice way to talk to someone. You also get to role play how hard it is to be nice sometimes. You also get to role play how hard it is to know when you don't know and to sit when you can't sit and understand when you really don't want to understand today. Yeah. I tell parents this is a funny thing. You role play that whether you want to. So you might right. as well lean into it. <laughs> You're going to snap right. at them whether you want to or not. And so you might as well lean into, you know, this is a good moment for us to figure this out because I realized I yelled and I didn't like that. And I realized yeah. it made you come in your room. So maybe we can figure this out because I didn't know what else to do other than yell, but let's figure this out. That's a role play. You're using the phrase role play. And when I think about role play, I think about like, okay, hypothetical scenario. You're this person. I'm this person. But that's not actually what you mean. Yeah. You're really just talking about these real life interactions where yeah. we get to sit inside of, you know, a way of being with our teen, our child, mm -hmm. that is an example of positive kind of healthy yeah. is that what yeah okay and it is role playing because you do start playing roles with your kid whether you want to or not and so you do it without knowing your kids will come to you and you'll play lecturer or you'll play teacher or you'll Got play it. like okay. the wise knowing expert who knows everything and it's like that's my favorite role right, Mercedes, right? that one right <laughs> And so you are doing it. And that's why I tell you, you're already Got doing it. it. You might as well lean into it. You're already doing it. <laughs> you already decide what hat you want to wear when your kid comes in and says, well, I have to deal with this. You're like, all right, who am I going to be today? Right? Got you it. Your parents say that too. There's a whole thing about it on social media before the pandemic when it was like, you know, go to Dan. It's like one thing, go to mom. And she's like all these things. So we make fun of it, but it's true. We do 
as parents decide who we're going to be, we're going to be the cook and the this and the that and the that and the that and the that and the this. And most people can handle all that for a short period of time, but you can't do that for all 20 years of your child living in your house. It's a lot. Oh my gosh, they won't, you know, and that's kind of bringing it back to these roles. Like that's where, I mean, if we ultimately want relationship with our grown children, but we're stuck in questioning who am I as a human, there's not a lot of room for a grown relationship to happen. So in your work, when you work with a family and a parent is kind of stuck in the childhood mm-hmm. place and they've got a 16-year-old who's, you know, doing what 16-year-olds do, how do you support them in moving forward so that they can be where their 16-year-old needs them to be? Yeah. What does that journey look like? That's what I do in my intensives. That's what we do the whole day. We talk a lot oh, about cool. what keeps us there. So when we go back to childhood, right, it's about who or what influences me, right? What I think, what I feel. It's about me. Oftentimes, parents would do kind of where you were, where it's like, well, my kid, my kid. I'm like, they're not the only people who influence you. Who else did? Oh, well, my mom and okay and you start noticing and then i say who else influences you oh well i listen to this podcast or okay so it looks like you've got a lot of influence you got positive you got not so you got your kid telling you all the time right so let's work through how those influences affect you because then we start to talk about the rest of it because that influences how you decide to show up in the world which is your dream then it influences the tools you actually even acknowledge you have Mm-hmm. to share, right? Because I don't know who influences me and I'm not aware of it and it's constantly bombarding me. If it makes a link for you, I started off with childhood with shame-proof parenting. Shame-proof parenting, that philosophy came out of what influences parents? And that's when mm-hmm. I started seeing all that shame it does. If I know my mom, I've had so many parents start the conversation off with, my mother-in-law's coming over this weekend. How do I get my kids to listen to me? And I'm like, yeah. right. <laughs> When my kids were little and I was around my family of origin, I was like, listen, everyone, we all know that I'm going to be a little bit weird. So just roll with it. I mean, it's visceral. It's so crazy. Yes. Yes. So here's fun. I love that question because then you go into your tween self of how do I demonstrate who I am to those around me? I tell my family that when we go to my family of origin, I'm going to be weird. That's how I do it. I let them know, just know that mom is probably going to be like really different mm-hmm. for this two days that we're there. So just know. There you go. Yeah. So what's fun about this model is that as people start to talk, you realize you're answering these questions. You're just not paying attention to how it's influencing your parental identity. You might even be doing certain right. things. You'd be surprised that if you've made it to teen years, you're probably already role playing, just not in a way that feels good. It feels like your mm-hmm. kid is putting you in roles that they need you to be in, but you're not able to. So you need to be the lecturer today. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Why don't you understand me? You need to stand up straight. I'm trying to talk to you. And you're just like, I'm going to mm-hmm. fall over. Because there's a yeah. part of your identity that hasn't gotten to a place where you can handle another adult or an emerging adult talk to you. Yeah. And I wonder too, if there's like, oh my gosh, I'm looking at the time, yes, but exactly. I'm like, ah, hours so later, good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm wondering too, like, do you find people getting stuck in the childhood Everywhere. developmental place because of their attachment to influence, which can easily be mistaken for this idea of control? Mm-hmm. That's a good one. That's a great link. And I think influence is different for everyone. So some people enjoy the influence. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. too hard. So I've definitely talked to parents where they realize how much they influence their kid and it's scary. 
Yeah. Because it's like, I don't want to be that much of an influence on any human's life. And so then you have to work on that. So who influences? Well, I influence too much. And so then you're working through, okay, how do you feel okay influencing another human being? How do you feel okay with that? Right. And so we, we realize that in these spaces, everyone really has these different vacillating kind of you know, spaces of like, some people really like being able to influence their kid. I talked to one mom and she had this beautiful idea about what she wanted to be a mom. She's pregnant. She was like, I just want to influence a child to be a better steward of the world. Like, that's a beautiful way to think about it, right? At this point in your life, because that is what she wanted to do, right? That she wanted to influence another person who could be a steward of the world in a healthy way. Okay, that's a good thing to kind of have as your goal. Like you're not trying to make mm-hmm. them a mini me or make them, you just want them to be a good person when they get into the world. That's a different influence other than someone who says, I'm pregnant because I never thought I'd have a kid and I needed to have one real quick. I'm pregnant because- <laughs> Real quick. I'm saying it, like people have these ideas, yeah. right? Or I did it because my family wanted me to and everyone was waiting for me to finally have a kid or the person I'm dating wanted that or I was ready, but it didn't come when I was ready. So it came after years years of trying and it's mm. finally here and I refuse to be angry about it but kids are hard no matter how much you've waited for them to be there you know yeah so these are all things that people enter into their parental space with real stuff and then we say to them well you can't be like that you have to raise a kid what's a kid yeah. a human what am I a human ah. <laughs> Yeah. Got to the reality a human <laughs> that is in development, a human becoming, right? right. I love that right. phrase. Yeah. So that's the gist of it. If I can kind of like give you a sentence of it, the parental identity development model is really about helping us understand that there's still a human developing whilst they're raising a human. It's still happening. Mm-hmm. I haven't stopped, but there's a different piece of me that's developing that I haven't developed before because I haven't had to care like this for someone before. Mm-hmm. Will you let us know when you have a handy handout? Yes, I will. I will. <laughs> a nice infographic. Everyone who's like, listening, it's in the process. You will get it. Okay. If you're like, my head is swimming. What is she talking about? Good. You're in the right spot. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, 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 that is coming. I'm hoping by the end of this year, I will have more to Great. share and give about it. Good. Yes. Uh, it makes me feel like, you know, when you have a word on the tip of your tongue, mm-hmm. And it's right there. Like, that's kind of how I'm so excited for you to continue to develop this and to continue to create resources around it because it's so powerful and feeling it like as that experience of, oh, it's on the, I I get it. I get it. I get it. Oh, I don't get it, but it's right there, but I get it. So we'll have to just have more conversations about this because it's so cool. And I'm really glad that you spent time with me today and shared this and just congratulations on such amazing work and to be bringing it out to the world. It's I'm sure already having a huge impact. Hopefully I'm hoping it is. If the intensives have been really cool and it's a really nice ground for me to see how it's landing and no one has said this hasn't landed. Everyone's like, Oh, Okay. Yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> this is landing. Yeah. <laughs> Will you share where can people find you and follow your work and check in on one of these intensives? And so, Shape Parenting is the best place to start. The okay. link to the intensives is there. And I will share that link with you because it's like, you know, one of those wonky little links like bit.ly. And so, I'll share that with you and you can put it with the show notes if people are interested yeah, perfect. in looking at the intensives and seeing more about that. Okay. Are you still doing the parenting couch? It's there. The family couch is there. On the YouTube. family couch? Yep, it's still there on YouTube. All the old episodes are there. I was honest about earlier. I've just really spent some time really going on a personal development journey and being okay with yeah. pumping out content and just being like, well, yeah. 
I'm okay. (laughs) And the good news is you pumped out content. So all that content continues to live. So listeners, go to shameproofparenting.com. You'll find all of the amazing things that Mercedes is doing instead of taking care of herself. (laughs) Lucky us. (laughs) Is there anything else that you want to share before I ask you my final question? No matter where you are in your parental identity journey, you can always work through it. It's never too late. If you just found out about this and your kids are like 40, you can still talk to them about it. You can still go through it. It doesn't matter. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. What does joyful courage mean to you? Ooh, I like that. I think it means that you take stock of everything as you move into your courage. So you don't just pay attention to the positive, but you pay attention to what you survived and what you went through as well. And you kind of use that as this like joyful courage. I feel good that I'm moving forward. Mm. Despite. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yay. It's such a good interview. I love Mercedes. There's so much to sit with that she shared with us. Thank you so much for listening. I adore you. I adore this community. I'm so happy to be bringing you conversations that matter. I am just really honored and humbled by the feedback that I get from all of you that you love this show. If you feel inspired and you haven't already, will you do me a favor and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review or screenshot that you're listening to the podcast and put it on your social media or grab the link to this show and text it to a friend and say, oh my gosh, I listened to this. It's so good. You should too. Your reviews, your sharing helps the Joyful Courage podcast to be seen by even more parents. And then we get to make an even bigger impact. Thank you so much to the team at Sproutable. I love you, ladies. Thank you for your backend help and your encouragement. Thanks to Rowan for doing the show notes. Thanks to Chris at podshaper.com for your amazing editing. As always, I am so honored to you, for you listeners, that you show up each week and you listen. We're all doing the best we can in the moment. That includes you. I see you. Have a beautiful week. I'll be back. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.